Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Impact Real Estate Podcast brought to you by Jackson Lucas Executive Search. I am your host, Chris Papa. Before we get to our interview with Shola Olatoye, it's time for a special edition of Instant Impact. Special because we have Impact Real Estate Podcast producer Julio Lara with us. Julio, what do you got? It is an honor to be here, Chris. It's an honor to have you. Oh, thanks, man. You're you always, helping you're with always some behind instant, the scenes. Got a big old helping of some impactful, instant impactfulness, Chris. Oh, good. You ready? I'm ready. Uh, first up, BizNow's article, The New Tech Hub's Pandemic Accelerates Industries Decentralization. It's a mouthful. Says the pandemic marked a slowdown in the partial decentralization of the tech industry away from its traditional coastal cities growth and resulted in a correspondent uptick in tech jobs in mid-sized and smaller places with high quality of life metrics where tech workers can easily relocate. Do these findings correlate with what Jackson Lucas is seeing in the job market right now? Good question, Julio. That's a great article too. Um, Yes, we have a, just in the real estate in general, decentralization, the uh, firms are open to hiring talent in whether it's moving away from, you know, I live in the Bay Area. There's a lot of, uh, there was an exodus from here for a lot of talent um, going to other markets like Phoenix or Austin, Salt Lake City, Denver. And so people have been creating offices in these spaces or just allowing people to work remotely. So a lot of the jobs that maybe a few years ago were definitely had to be in an office, there is flexibility on a case-to-case basis regarding people being remote. So it's definitely, um, and tech is a driver for real estate. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's made recruiting actually a little easier because you know you don't have to necessarily find someone who's gonna, open to coming in the office, who has to come into the office every day. You can have somebody that never comes in the office or comes in the office twice a week. And um, it makes it, it makes it easier to find talent. And something that you do a lot in this podcast too is what I find really cool is, is that you bring in some of these uh, leaders, CEOs, directors from some of these towns. I mean, last week you had uh, somebody from Tulsa, Oklahoma, which isn't necessarily New York or San Francisco. And right. it just goes to show that wherever you go, uh, you know, there is space for you to, to uh, pursue a, a career in real estate, regardless. It's also of- super interesting because when, even before I spoke to Kristen, um, I heard of this, it's called Tulsa, Tulsa Remote. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And they had a, they have a program where they pay someone, they'll pay you 10 grand to move there. And if you can work remotely from there. So they'll pay you to actually live there. So they wanted, they were trying to attract, you know, remote workers to move there because, uh, you know, the pandemic allowed a lot of companies to allow people to work remotely. So Tulsa is like pretty invaded in, in that as well. And this article talks a lot too, a lot about like the, they mentioned it, the, the quality of life aspect of it too, right? I mean, I just moved uh, more of the suburbs with my family, a family of four. Um, so it, more and more people, it looks like that, the quality of life thing, it, it, the hustle and bustle of the city being what it is, there's something that rings a chord with some people who have those smaller towns, right? Your Tulsa's of the world. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to move there. I got no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, it doesn't even have to be away from this. It used to be a different city, you know, where there's maybe normally not like a headquarters there. Or, I mean, I think a lot of people had trouble. They're like, we're not moving to this city because they don't have like a lot of talent, young, talented people, right? Because maybe there's not a university there. Um, that's what people want. They want a workforce. And so they move to places where there's good, good pe people are graduated from good schools, basically. Um, and where younger people want to live. And so, you know, a lot of these places, younger people didn't want to live. And so they wouldn't have offices there. But now that it seems people are a little more, there's a trade-off. They don't want to be paying, you know, five grand a month for, you know, one bedroom. You know, hey, I can do this. I can work. I can move to Boise and have, you know, a better quality of life. But then some client, some companies, you know, specifically, all these, I just know in the Bay Area, like, if they're saying, hey, we're going to, if we're paying you a hundred grand for the Bay Area, if you're moving to Tulsa, we'll pay you, we're going to pay you 65 grand. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, they do a cost of living adjustment if you move out of the Bay Area. Um, one time I was looking at a job in Memphis, Tennessee. Nice. And uh, this is when I worked in newspapers and the starting salary, uh, 18,000 a year. There you go. And you made it sound like it was a ton of money. <laughs> and I was like, are you crazy? 18000 I was supposed to do with that. Be a big newspaper, man. Yeah, there you go. All right, yeah. number two. It feels like this is an all business edition of the Instant Impact. Uh, but you, my friend, made headlines this week when you were quoting an article saying that the house is on fire. Elaborate a little more on that, uh, what you meant by that the house was on fire when it comes to uh, diversity hiring in the workforce. Yeah, because the question uh, from the journalist was do we need a more systematic approach i believe to um, hiring diverse candidates and i was saying that like eventually there sh there should be more of like a systematic programmatic way of doing it but it the, the this it's skewed so far one side right now that we can't really we can but you know it's not the best way to do it is just like all right let's just concentrate on doing this and is getting as many diverse candidates and hired as we can in the real estate industry. And then we can worry about making it a little more programmatic. Then, and then after that, we can worry about making it a little more systematic and programmatic and like, but like right now, it was just a good money fair. Actually, my buddy who's, who's a black man, uh, I was talking to him about early on about Black Lives Matter because I didn't really, I'm like, I was one of those people that was like, you know, doesn't, don't all lives matter? He's like, yes, that's a great point. He's like, all my lives do matter. But right now, picture you're on a block, right? You have like the black house, the white house, the whatever, all different, you know, ethnicities, houses. But there's one house right now. It's the black house and that one's on fire. So don't worry about the other houses. They may be in trouble a little bit, but like one that's on fire and that's about to burn down. we got to put our resources on putting that out. And then we can worry about the other ones, right? And so that's how I, that's kind of how I looked at it for the jobs too. It's like, hey, like, you know, there's a lot of inequity across hiring, you know, I'm a white male. So we have usually have an, a leg up on the inequity part. Um, and so we could, you know, we could address a lot of these things, but like, let's just concentrate on like the immediate thing right now. And then once that house is out and we get a little more equity in the hiring, then we can look at the bigger picture. Right. But right now, you know, it's a very, there's one house that's on fire and we got to concentrate on that. So that's, that's, I took his metaphor and used it for this. You used another one uh, in that article that you were quoted uh, about the NFL and that you're making a reference to the capital of it. Right. So like it, it the, the money is uh, sort of dictates where these resources go. No. 
or this attention goes. Yeah, because he was asking me, uh, the, the journalist, hey, you know, there's the Rooney rule in football is like every, if there's a, a coach search, they need to hire or at least interview at least, I believe it's one diversity candidate. And mm-hmm. it's not really working well. They're not hiring more black coaches because of that. Um, and he was saying, is this something that's happening in the real estate world where they're like, hey, we just need to have, you know, at least hire or at least interview a few diversity candidates. And I was saying that it's it's more than that. And like why why clients are hiring more diverse candidates. There may be, you know, some clients may have like a very like, they might, they might feel like, hey, like we do need to hire more diverse people because it makes our company better, right? Um, but two, I mean, it's all, you know, the kind of the main reason and like what's pushing everyone, I, I find with my clients is like, hey, shit, like our, the people that are investing with us, all this money are not going to give us money unless we hire, have more diverse people on our website and our marketing deck. Um, and I felt like that's the same thing with the NFL, like the NFL preaches diversity or, you know, hey, we've got to have this Rooney rule, but they don't really have to do anything about it unless advertisers, the money that pays for the NFL um, says, hey, you got to do something about this. So until that happens, it can just be a lot of talk. Right. But in real estate, it's it's getting it's gotten to the point where it's more than just talk. It's like the capital that's going that's flowing into these companies is saying, hey, at least with the institutional capital is saying, hey, we need more diversity here or else we're not going to give you any more money. Um, and so, you know, it's not the most whatever the best reason in the world, but it's getting the job done at least partially. So um, it's definitely led to a lot of my clients saying, Chris, we definitely need to hire this role has to be high. You know, we have to hire a diverse candidate for this role. You know, just one bone to pick with you about that article. I feel like I tell you this because we're friends, but you said Bud Light. And then I was like, who the hell drinks Bud Light anymore? <laughs> well, I don't drink at all. Well, you don't drink at all. That's so, true. I think when I did, drink, drink I definitely well. drank, uh, I, I did drink Bud Light. Cause you can just sit up, you can just, you know, have like 30 Bud Lights and last all day. Instant Impact recommends that you read the BizNow article, Tension Mounting Over Slow Pace of Diverse Hiring. If you follow Chris on LinkedIn, he's got a link to it over there. So make sure to check it out. It is a very, uh, very, very good article. Uh, Last one, Chris, for today, Instant Impact. Uh, Wealthmanagement.com released its 20 most desirable cities for Gen Z renters. New York came in at number three. Jersey City, number two. And San Francisco, Number one, uh, Chris, you're all familiar with all three of those. Who has the best burritos and why is San Francisco the only <laughs> right? Well, I have lived in all three. Uh, I'm, a Jersey, I'm a Jersey guy. You're a Gen Zer. You're the Gen, Gen, Xer. The, uh, the, the Gen It said Z-er I know, I'm a Gen Xer, though. No, but I'm saying you're a Zer because you lived in all oh, three. Yeah. That was crazy. Uh, I would say, I mean, burritos weren't like a thing. Where I grew up, it was like pizza more so than burritos. So definitely there's a lot of pride in the Mission Burrito here. It is the first of the burrito with everything inside the actual tortilla, um, as opposed to having like the rice and beans on the outside of the tortilla. So um, I would say San Francisco for sure. Mission Burritos. All right. Best burrito, San Francisco. But you mentioned pizza. I am a fan of pizza. Mm-hmm. Which one has the best pizza? I don't think San Francisco would compete on the pizza front, to be honest. Uh, with you. New Jersey's got the best pizza by far. All right, we're about to get a bunch of phone calls. By far, best um, pizza, best bagels. There's a lot of the New York folks move. move. Not from not, not from there. You'll get New York. Uh, a lot of the New York folks moved out of New York and they moved to Jersey. So, 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your Instant Impact brought to you, as always, by Jackson Lucas Executive Search. Chris, this was fun. Thanks for being on. Yeah, Julio. I love it, man. I love having you come from behind the, uh, the whatever, the editing board out in front of the microphone. You have a face made for radio. Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, folks. It's time for our Impact interview brought to you by Jackson Lucas Executive Search. At Jackson Lucas, our goal is to provide solutions to your most important asset, people. Talent acquisition is time-consuming and challenging. At Jackson Lucas, we bring a research-driven approach that is both streamlined and exhaustive. Firms partnering with Jackson Lucas will benefit from our industry experience and expertise, rigorous due diligence, and candidate development. Please reach out to us at jacksonlucas.com for more information. And today we have the amazing Shola Olatoye, the Director of Housing and Community Development at the City of Oakland. Please enjoy. So Shola, thank you for joining us today or joining me today. Uh, it's great to see you. I, it's, it's sunny out here. I'm down in the, the peninsula in the Bay Area. We're both Bay Area residents now. Uh, how is the weather over in Oakland? It is, you know, 65 and gorgeous, which is or maybe 60 and gorgeous. Um, so a, another sunny day here, I love which it. I'm getting used to, although I'm headed back east in a few days and I hear it's not so sunny and not so warm. Where are you going on the, in the East Coast? I'm going to back to New York uh, Friday wow. through Wednesday. I too will be in New York. Maybe we'll be on the same flight Friday through Wednesday. Let's do it. I'll be uh, I'll be in the city, so I'm not sure where you're going, Manhattan, so... Not sure. Yeah, we we have um we have like way too many people to see and not enough time. Uh, but we'll be in in and around uh, the city and seeing some friends who also moved out of the city right as the beginning of the pandemic. So um, yeah, it'll be fun. And it's the first time that my family has been back since we left. Um, I have been back since, so it's really it'll be good for them. Yeah, I'm taking my son. He's 11. So yeah, we, we usually go back every year. Um, and we ha- we haven't in the last couple of years. So. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's good for their continued New York street cred. I know, right? My son was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> he was born in Manhattan, but he lived in Brooklyn, so he's got to like keep that rep up. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you are the director of housing and community development for the city of Oakland, which sounds amazing. Um, can you tell us what that means and what you do, sure. please? Sure. Uh, well, thank you. And, you know, first I am a newcomer, as we've said, to the Bay Area. So um, I was recruited to this position uh, and, and accepted it actually just two years ago. So I started in February 2020. Right before the uh, pandemic. And, huh? right, like literally I had been in my office for three weeks before everything <laughs> shut down. So. Um, The mayor and the then city administrator recruited me to join um, the administration to help the mayor, again, think pre-pandemic, kind of solidify her plans to um, build um, and preserve 17,000 units of housing throughout the city of Oakland. Wow, yeah. And, you know, so the role of the department is one uh, is really the chief, the city's chief kind of lender to Mm -hmm. affordable housing projects. So Mm -hmm. we 
manage all of kind of federal, state, and local dollars that go into those kinds of projects. We are also the sort of chief um, kind of regulator of the city's rent control program or rent adjustment program. And then we are the kind of program and policy advisor to obviously the mayor and the council around, you know, community development needs broadly. So Mm -hmm. I like to think of it as like investor, regulator, and council and advisor. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm an example of like, say I'm a developer, I want to develop or, or, or yeah, develop units in the city of Oakland, affordable units. I call you up and say, what, I'm looking to do this. And you say, hey, you got to fulfill these requirements or what's the kind yeah. of the process look like? Sure. Um, and, you know, I think for most people, the first the first call will be like to get their entitlements because um, it's really hard for me to talk to you if you just like have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah. um, do you, if you have a parcel of land or a building, like where are you in the entitlement process? And for those for your listeners, they know that's typically like your planning and building department, right? So mm-hmm. um, typically you start there and the city of Oakland puts out the, it's the resources that it has access to through a series of competitive, we call them NOFAs or Notice of Funding Availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are typically like twice a year, calendar year. Um, and it's competitive, right? So, and it'll be for a specific type of housing, of specific housing type. So we just actually um, closed our new construction NOFA. So if you are a developer who is putting together a project and, you know, you need additional resources to make your project pencil, you come to the city, particularly affordable projects only. Mm -hmm. Um, You come to the city, you apply, there's a competitive process, you submit your stuff, and, you know, our team will evaluate it based on a series of criteria criteria that the council has adopted and approved, and we then make those recommendations to council, and they ultimately... um, hopefully accept our recommendations. (laughs) And then we were able to fund your project. That's pretty cool. And then is there anything that Oakland's doing to like incentivize developers to come in or any special programs? Um, Yeah. So first let me just say like Oakland is a fascinating place. Like as a student of both history and cities, I mean, as I like to say, like we're city people, right? So we like yeah. moved to live in, live in Oakland. I walk these, as they say, I walk these streets, right? So like it is, it is both a fascinating place um, and a place that, you know, like so many urban areas has not been spared by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, whether that be just in the, the visibility of street homeless, homelessness, whether that's in just, you know, people losing the, their livelihood overnight and therefore they're already precarious housing. Um, so the city has had to really quickly, like a lot of cities, kind of turn on a dime. And, you know, affordable housing projects typically take between three and five years from like idea to like construction and like people moving in. So it's not a quick process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had to do a couple things and, and, and frankly, we couldn't really do this without other levels of government participating because Oakland doesn't have a lot of money and that's a whole other conversation we should have. Yeah. Um, so California really led the, led the country 
in like, you know what, let's just buy as many of hotel, motel, dorms to, you know, house formerly in homeless people, right, during the pandemic. And they call that the Home Key Program. Mm. And, uh, you, you know, you may have heard the, the state, we also have a, like a ridiculous surplus. So there's just been a lot of money that the governor and, and state leaders have put into affordable housing. And so Home Key basically was this competitive program that said like, hey, cities, can you partner and acquire as many, you know, um, kind of hotel motels and dorms and come up with like viable projects for people who really need affordable housing. And so we did. Um, and we won uh, four, four awards in 2021. Awesome. Um, and it was really awesome. And again, I, I, this was not something that we did by ourselves. It was really because the state kind of cleared the way, but Chris, we partnered with those developers and we brought on line like people living inside buildings with roofs within nine months, wow. people were housed. That's amazing. That is a record <laughs> permanently yeah. housed, right? This is not shelter. This is not like, these are like, you know, people with leases and a key and a door. And so super innovative, super creative, literally is responsible for a good portion of my gray hair, but like was really, um, was a really exciting and, and you know innovative effort. And we just submitted uh, six more applications because the state put out another billion with a B uh, nice. dollars. And so we'll hear if we win those probably in another like five or six weeks. Gotcha. Um, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And was that like, did you have like, yeah. So what, how has everything changed with the pandemic? I, mean, I guess you were brought in with, and you were like, "Hey, you were going to, you know, create some you know, some agenda. You had some agenda coming in, and then the pandemic hit. Has there been like, how has your job changed?" Yeah, great question. So, Thanks. you know, when you come into a job like this, you you know, one thinks I'm going to spend a lot of time talking to stakeholders. I'm going to be doing neighborhood tours. I'm going to be you know out and about and Obviously, that did not happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what the mayor and the city administrator asked me to do in that in, in those sort of early months of 2020 was like, you know, I think they were they would honestly and the data certainly supports this. While her 2016 plan has actually created a lot of new units in the city of Oakland, we have the city has fallen desperately short around its affordable housing goals. And mm -hmm. so. The challenge to me was like, how do we get to, how do we, like, what's the path, Shola, to like get to those numbers? And what do we need to do, you know, from a city perspective, from a policy perspective, from a funding perspective to make that a reality? And I think there was an acknowledgement, like, you know, we didn't do those things kind of, mm. you know, pre. And so that was sort of my challenge. And then it was like, okay, but the city is shut down now. And so it's not like those questions kind of went away or that challenge went away, mm. but added to it was how do we keep, you know, 25 to 30,000 people from like ending up on the streets because they can't pay their rent on March one, right. you know, how do we, Oh my goodness, as a city completely turn on our, you know, on a, a turn on a dime and work remotely, you know, Oakland is known for many things, but it is not a, 
it's a little bit of a creaky kind of government, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it was kind of like heady. We had to figure out how to, you know, support workers to work remotely who frankly some people didn't even have email, you know. So yeah, it was just so there tough. were a lot of challenges. Um and and, you know, the city, Oakland was out in front again on the in sort of within the national debate in creating an eviction moratorium, not a rent moratorium, but a, an eviction mm. moratorium. And so like figuring out like, well, how would that work? You know, like, you know, what just sort of how do you sort of make that a reality? How do you make sure people know kind of the ins and outs of that law? So we launched our first ever Know Your Rights campaign. So if you've ever seen some of the AC transit buses rolling around with the Know Your Rights campaign sort of oh, bus ads, yeah. you know, it was like, and that was both for tenants, but also for, for property owners. Cause it was like, look, you, you know, there were federal efforts to help property owners who may have had issues with their mortgage mortgages. And then there has, is this huge effort around emergency rental assistance for mm. tenants, um, which Oakland is, administering its program so i we are pushing out 48 million dollars to oakland residents and it is responsible for the other part of my gray hair um but (laughs) (laughs) um but you know i didn't know that that was what i was going to be doing when i accepted this job but here we are so yeah well most importantly what's going on with the age are we are we going to stay in oakland or what come on oh my goodness um you know i you know there's there's a a letter of intent or agreement. And I think now it's about trying to finalize and, and, you know, I think live up to, and I also just want to say like, that is a conversation that had been going on long before I joined the city. Right. And so I think there were lots of community expectations. Right. I think the A's had like clearly have like their own thing. So I think we're now in this place of trying to sort of, level set and knit together what the community wants. Affordable housing is a big, you know, is the issue. Yeah. How you pay for it, you know, I mean, having done some of these large scale development projects in other cities, like, you know, just because someone says they're going to give you a huge amount of dollars, they're going to give it to you in 20 or 25 years. Like that doesn't necessarily help residents today. So just, I think, being super clear about, you know, when and what we're talking about, I think is, is, will be really important so that, you know, there's just some integrity to the process. Yeah. I've lived in, I grew up in Jersey and I lived in Jersey city, Hoboken, Manhattan mm-hmm. and Brooklyn. And then I lived in Oakland. I think Oakland has the most, at least when I would live, there was the most community kind of, I just felt very welcoming there. You know, it was like a very like super diverse, um, just like going to the playground and stuff, seeing like all different races and nationalities and all that kind of stuff represented. And like, it was a very, like people love being living in Oakland. It was great. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen it like compared to even like Jersey city or Brooklyn or something. It just seemed like super community. Everyone seemed to be involved with the community. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, and part of that is, is it's both, I think both by design and like is sort of in the bones of this city. Right. Um, I was just reading this book about Jerry Brown and his family. And like, a, I guess he used to call Oakland an ecoopolis, right? Cause he <laughs> had this idea that like, it was going to be this, you know, 
I don't know if it's city on a hill, but a place where like all, all, and he used the word ilk, all ilk kind of came together and, you know, the garden district where you had industry and people living next to each other. And I mean, that is borne out by what you see in what is, you know, one could say almost a haphazard planning, like, you know, sort of approach. And, you know, I think that's what's really interesting about Oakland. I think there's some amazing kind of community assets. I think for a lot of Oaklanders, particularly Black Oaklanders, like they are not and have not experienced, you know, particularly poor Black folks, right? Like haven't experienced the same kind of, you know, benefits of some of the really important work that has occurred over the course of the last 10 to 20 years. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's evident in both the numbers, right? You know, the black population has gone from its high of 48%, you know, down to like 23 or 24%. Is that right? And then, wow. yeah. Where are and they going? You, Do we know? They are going, they're not here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are a couple of places. I mean, lots of people have moved east, right? So like the Antiochs and, um, and sort of other kind of exurbs. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, people have also left the state. Um, and then the other really, I think, even more s- sort of just crushing and, you know, sort of terrible outcome is, you know, the people on the street. 70% yeah. of those folks are black. Oh, wow. You I know, and it's like, yeah, that's a good number of those folks who were, you know, sort of displaced, you know, went to the streets. So I think that's where, you know, where we are challenged as a a city, which I think is, you know, and I do think that is, you know, there are, there are some unique parts of that that are to Oakland. Yeah. Wow. That's great that you brought that to our attention here or my attention at least. Um, So I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Um, Where'd you grow up and where did, where did this kind of spirit of, uh, I don't know, giving back is the right word, but kind of community, come from? Sure. Um, well, I was born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut, which, as I like to say, basically peaked around World War One, <laughs> and has been in a steady decline since. Um, <laughs> it was the home of the brass mill factory, and they built, they uh, produced all of the brass buttons for wow. World War One soldiers. Yes. So, um, my parents, I'm a daughter of, of an immigrant. Um, my dad was from Nigeria, a mm-hmm. civil engineer from Nigeria. And my mom um, was a Brooklyn girl, born mm-hmm. and bred in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. Wow, that's and where my so, mom's born from, born too. Really? Yeah. I bet. Where, where'd she go to high school? I bet she went to the same school. She moved out of, out of there before high school. Okay. But I'm uh, sure not, she Not, not, Yeah. But so, I hear yeah, I hear so all I amazing this. things about that night. It's like a it's like a fairy tale place where <laughs> these it's like this mythic place in my family history. Oh, I'm I, sure. Yeah, I mean Brooklyn is. I mean, we can talk about New York. I mean, it's it, so I like I have this truly African American experience in that you know my father's family is as you maybe would imagine you can be a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. You can't really be anything more than that. Um, And, and, you know, everyone who came here is incredibly successful and, um, and, you know, sort of very much sort of striving. And then on my sort of black American side, my family is, you know, my grandmother was a domestic for Jewish families in Midwood. 
did oh, not yeah. read or did not read or write. Um, came to New York during the Great Migration, early part of the Great um, Migration, and you know our family history in this country, you know maps a lot of Black Americans' story of you know enslavement in the South and kind of moving north and west in search of opportunity. Um, my parents met in Brooklyn. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was this, like, my mom describes him as, like, this exotic graduate student. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they, like, you know, got married, had me, moved to Waterbury, Connecticut, because there were three other Nigerian engineers there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's where I was raised. What kind of engineer? Civil engineer. So My dad's a civil not engineer, to too. Be, we're like twins, yeah. basically, you and I. That's so funny. Your your dad was an engineer, is an engineer as well? Yeah, he's a civil engineer, yeah. I love that. So, yeah. so you know, really into conversations about infrastructure, right? And like, mm. you know, bridges and 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 roads and and it is, should not be lost that, you know, he's a, he actually passed away in 2014, but one of his touch. last projects, thank you. One of his last projects was for a very large um, sort of multi-conglomerate company that was working with public housing authorities around the country. So they just like all oh, these cool. sort of, yeah, yeah very uh, interesting. Um, so so this idea for me, and I and, and my parents split when I was pretty young. Um, and so my mom raised me in in this town in Waterbury. And, you know, she she's, I, I'm, her name is Carol. I'm Carol's daughter, right? Everybody knows Carol. She's like, mm the glue in the community, this idea of, you know, we're going to go and help Mrs. Jones on Sunday because she's moving and we're all helping her move. And we're going to like set like just this. We were always I was always the expectation was that you always helped others, mm-hmm. whether it was from that or I remember one time my, one of my mom's friends was like es- escaping a now I know was an abusive relationship and she lived with us for like three months. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so she, that was just my mom. She took in people. I call her, she she definitely collects people. Um, (laughs) And uh, you know, and so she's the kind of person the other day she sends me a text, you know, can you, can you talk to so-and-so's grandson? I'm like, I don't even know who you're talking about. mom. Yeah. Yeah. He moved to Oakland and he's working with young people and he needs someone to come talk to his young people. I'm like, okay, mom, you're it. it. You're up. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So she, that is what she expects. And so that's what I knew. And, um, and that's the work that I've chosen to do. And how did you get into it? Like I'm I'm looking through your, you know, your background here. Very impressive. Uh, You know, you went to school at, uh, at Wesleyan. And then um, did you have like, did you know anything about like real estate or development or, or any of this stuff? Or did you have any interest in it besides, you know, kind of yeah. infrastructure? So, no. So actually, I thought I was going to be a professor um, because like all of the like smart people in my family and my dad's side, like they ultimately were like teachers and some of them were professors, but they were also like engineers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'm going to be a professor, but I'm going to be a history professor. Ah. So I actually was like on my way to do a PhD program. And um, I did a semester, like, quote unquote, abroad, but not really because it was in New York City. Um, <laughs> and and I, uh, I student taught in Harlem. 
Oh, and I went cool. to the to the Bank Street School of Graduate Education. So this would have been my like between my sophomore and junior year at West. And mm. I at the time this was like this was pre educate like the modern education reform. I'm also kind of dating myself, but <laughs> this was like when people were like, okay, smaller schools and you know family and parent centric kind of governance and there was this leader of the movement at the time who said to me <clears throat> after completing this semester she was like and I'll use her words she was like there are enough good people in the classroom and there are way too many assholes coming up with policy you need to be in coming up with policy oh, okay. and I just was like huh and that was sort of a formative <laughs> moment and I got really involved in education reform and policy work in New York City after graduate after graduating from Westland mm. and spent three years like working in community, working on policy, doing big kind of local and state campaigns to sort of advance the idea of quality education shouldn't be about where what zip code you're in. Like it should be a basic right for every kid. And you know, this is like my idealism, my idealism. And then realizing, you know, as I began to get become more just sort of immersed in the world of policy and politics that, you know, there was this whole thing called the real estate market. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was this, and there was this whole thing called redlining. And there was this whole thing, oh, you know, yeah. called, you know, sort of community development. And, <clears throat> you know, schools were frankly just one symptom uh, or one sort of one indicia of kind of healthy communities. And there were all these other things that kind of went to it. Long story short, went to graduate school, learned about real estate finance, learned about organizational management, um, and that thus began my, my path into this world. How did you get your first job out of school? Well, out of Westland? I oh, know, sorry, out of, out of the graduate school into real estate. Graduate school. school. So graduate school, um, I went to NYU. Um, I, someone <laughs> I knew, I was interning at the time at the city's housing department and got to know the city's housing commissioners at the time, Gerilyn Perrine, super well, um, and had, had done this report on how to use the city's building code to create more affordable housing. And that got some buzz and, and someone called me and this guy called me and he's like, hey, I'm running Mark Green's mayoral campaign and we think you'd be an awesome like issues director and if he's going to win and you can be like the next HPD commissioner. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much the campaign stuff, but yeah. I want to like be in charge and tell yeah, you're the boss. how to build affordable housing. Exactly. I can tell. And um, as you might have remembered, Mark Green did not win the mayoral election. Mm. Something called September 11th happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of the city and the world has never been the same. And Mike Bloomberg became the mayor. Right. Um, and uh, a fellow Wesleyan alum called me and said, hey, I'm at this firm led by a Wesleyan alum and we need some help and we do like real estate and community development. Do you want to come and work with, work with us for like 20 hours a week? And I was like, so depressed. I didn't have a yeah. job. I was like, I was like, sure, you know, <laughs> and I went to um, a firm, what is now called HRNA Advisors. And, yeah, I'm um, familiar with them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They do a lot of like public-private stuff, correct? Exactly. 
Exactly. And so I started with them as a consultant, like 20 hours a week. And I ultimately stayed there for six years and left as a director. And that's really where I grew up professionally. You know, I learned about real estate performance and I learned about market analysis and I, you know, sort of honed my skills around data analysis and stakeholder management and how to sort of take a vision and really implement it. Mm. Um, And I just, I feel really like blessed and lucky that I got a chance to work with such an amazing group of people with many of whom I'm still in touch with. Um, But that's really where I grew up professionally and really realized I wanted to. And I think the interesting thing about consulting and, you know, when you're a consultant, you don't own the work, right? You sort of, you're a hired gun, right? You come in, you get the assignment, you drop into like, you're like a parachuter, you know, you drop in, you get the assignment, you do your work and then you leave. Mm -hmm. And after six years, I was like, I really want to, I want to own this work. Like I want to do it. You know, I don't want to just like hand it off to someone else. Like I really want to like stick around for the inevitable challenges of implementation. And so after that, I left, I left after six years, my husband and I had just had our first child we decided we were going to try a different part of the country. So we moved to South Florida. Okay. <laughs> He's a journalist and he, Miami's crazy. And there's always a crazy story in Miami. So we're yeah. not sure what the hell. And uh, we went down there and our timing was just right. No, not really. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I went at the end. Um, I really wanted to do more sort of learning about the sort of lending part of community mm-hmm. development. And so I joined um, HSBC Bank and okay. um, I was a vice president for sort of community development, lending and programming. And, um, you know, that was right at the beginning of the beginning of the financial crisis. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. then you went over to enterprise, right? So we were in Florida for three years. After three years, I was like, I'm going back to New York. And you can come. Um, there was a second kid in, who had joined us, and nice. Enterprise recruited uh, recruited me, and we came back to New York. Um, and I joined Enterprise Enterprise's New York office, Enterprise Community Partners, um, <clears throat> as a director of relationship management. So remember, this is now after the financial crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, people's portfolios, cities have been just leveled right the foreclosure crisis just like disaster and enterprise wasn't you know immune from any of that so they they were trying to like figure out like well what types of financial products do we need to kind of re-refine develop to continue to support the work of community development Mm -hmm. and so i was brought on to help think that through that's pretty cool there's a lot of people i know that like really great people that came out of Enterprise at one point in their lives. Enterprise is, you know, and I'm obviously in my role now, I, I work with everyone, but, you know, I think a lot of people know I, I, did, I worked there. I was there for almost six years, five years. Um, and it really, it's, to me, it was just, it was a, it was a place that really embodied what I had been trying to kind of put together in my own career, which is like mission driven work, mm-hmm. you know, but in the use of private capital for public good. 
yeah. And I, it just was like, it was a wonderful kind of and very elegant kind of combination of those things. And there were also like amazing, smart, committed people that I could learn from and that also like welcomed me and, 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 and supported, you know, my growth and development. And so after about two years, I guess, I was um, promoted to be the head of the New York office and vice president and market development, market leader. And that was awesome. It was a great job. Yeah. It was a great job. But then, I mean, you got even what seems like, I don't know if it's a better job, but it's definitely like a very high profile job, the chair and chief executive officer of the New York's of, yeah, NYCHO with the New York City Housing Authority for a couple of years Mm -hmm. there, which is pretty awesome. Like that seems, I mean, you're in the biggest city and one of the biggest cities in the world and running their housing authority. That's pretty impressive. Congrats. Thank you. Um, Did, uh, what's the, like, what are unique challenges to New York now that you've are also, you know, housing, doing housing for Oakland, like, is there like a, like a contrast mm, between the two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, the first thing you might, people might say is like, oh, well, you can't compare New York, right? Like it's so big and, and yes, there, that is the case. I mean, the New York city housing authority is the largest housing authority in the country. Like there's nothing, there's no comparison. Um, but I used to say to my team, like, don't let our size mask our mediocrity, like just because we're big, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean just because we're big doesn't mean we're the best, you know. And right. and there are some things that you know are are just truly singular about New York. So, but I but I think you know the issues are very similar, right? Like huge need, not enough public resources, a really divided populace, right? And I think it's you know I think one of the things that as a New Yorker. You know, we sort of take for granted because everybody takes the subway, right? But like we, mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a, still a very segregated city. And I think in a place like Oakland and maybe even other places, you know, in the Bay, it's just much more visible, right? Like 580 is the dividing line in the city, right? right. And yeah. and it's just, it's like in your face. And, and so, you know, you can have kind of an awesome life if you live in the hills and not really deal with, the challenges of encampment and homelessness and right. violence and, you know, some of the things that are just so present for other parts of the city. Um, now, how the city is governed, I think are, they're very different. Part of that is just the, the governance structure is very different. Like just the, 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 like literally the charters of like the state and cities are just very different. And so, and, you know, California has that whole like go West young man, libertarian yeah. approach to things you know and um i like to joke in meetings I'm, I'm like okay so let's just get it out of the way i'm from new york i am very <laughs> comfortable with executive power i know you all aren't but yeah. like that is the perspective that i'm coming from that you know and i'm here to learn but so i, I you know i try to make you know acknowledge it but also just say like yeah certain certain things in new york like they we just don't do that you know, you just yeah. know you can't pop a tent on the corner because you feel like, it. no, that's yeah, just not yeah. how it's work. <laughs> that's such a, I mean, that's such a, I don't know, that's such a hard, uh, what's the answer for the homelessness, right? It's just, it's so hard to do because you want to be compassionate, but you also want to be able to provide like, I'm sure safety and like cleanliness to the streets and to like the mm-hmm. residents of Oakland too. So it's, it's such a, I, don't, I wish there was like an easy answer. 
But Chris, I would just, I would just challenge you to say like, you know, it is not compassionate to allow people to sleep on the street. Right. That's like, right. Yeah. You want to put right? them in a, in a place, better place, but right. maybe there, if there isn't a better place, I don't know where, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where that is, that better place. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that it just you're requires right, yes. us. Yeah. I mean, I think it just requires people when you, even in an organization, when you start talking about change, you also have to acknowledge loss, right? Because like the human, human nature, like we just, you know, it's like, you're going you're gonna to take something from me. Right. And so I think this notion that like, we can just pretend like people in the hills don't have to give something up to make sure that other people have like basic right. Like that's like, that is, that's the tension. And it's very hard for politicians. I am not a politician. I am just a housing bureaucrat. It is the boss. So, so I acknowledge that, but I think, you know, the other difference and then I'll, I'll pause is like, you know, Oakland just doesn't have the kind of resources that, you know, New York has. Right. Why is that? Some of it is the taxing structure. I think Prop 209 um, or 213. Which one is the race one? Two, I don't 213. Know. 213 was the race one. 209 was the property tax one, right? So I just think that changed literally overnight the mm-hmm. municipal ability to tax itself and to and to use those resources like people are like oh my god the market's crazy in oakland like you should be getting so much more money yeah yeah you should right <laughs> but no right like the rules don't the laws don't it, it is not proportionate um right. so and there are some other issues but i don't want to get myself in trouble yet so <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll be moving over. I might move to Oakland in the summer or Berkeley. I'm not sure which one yet. So okay. Maybe well, I have a great, here. I have a great realtor if you want. So okay. <laughs> well, I will. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll see you firsthand. I, I do miss living in Oakland. Yeah. Are you ready for the hot seat? Ready. Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities reduce turnover and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Oh, it's so Hit hot. Me. So hot in here. Uh, all right. Do you have any advice for anyone looking to to break out or start into in your field? Spend some time in government. Ooh, good one. I just think, you know, spending a year, really two years in, gov- in local government, and I say this when I have the privilege to talk to young people in class in, in universities and such. Like I just think it gives you a vantage point of understanding 
how resources flow, how decisions are actually made, and then how you actually get shit done, right? Like mm. people are always like, oh, we got to, you know, this, we should be doing this. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to do that? How are you going to procure that vendor? How are you going to write the con? How are you going to get everything requires a six month sort of response time? How are you going to do that in that time? So I just feel like if people truly un- like come and spend two years in government, Come help fix fix it. Like yeah. give us good ideas about how to make things better. But I just feel like one government would be better if there were more people involved. Two, I think having an informed populace of people who understand like the the rules and the structures of government would just, I think, really contribute to the civic conversation. Great answer. I love it. What is your most memorable deal, or or like yes, yeah. I guess sort of, or initiative you've, you've worked on. Hmm. Most memorable. Well, or favorite or least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to say I have two, one, and they were both at NYCHA. Um, one was what is still, I think the largest, rental assistance demonstration project or rad and your listeners who know what that is um it was a 4600 unit maybe 4200 4600 unit um rad transaction out in queens and you know this was a traditional public housing development that you know tons of capital needs um deferred maintenance you know furnaces that didn't work doors that just just a mess right and like we it just we didn't have money we just didn't have the budget to take care of these buildings and we you know through a combination of like just hardcore like just meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings and more meetings with Mm -hmm. residents and politicians and you know, funders, like just got that deal and made that happen. And there was a huge team that was involved, but um, I think it really kind of broke the log jam in New York and in the New York City Housing Authority in particular. You know, there's such fear around privatization, but it really is oftentimes stoked by the very people who are complaining about the, the horribleness of NYCHA, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, I always used to say like, you know, you hate us, but you love us at the same time. And <laughs> so, you know, I just, I think that was such a, an important milestone for that organization. Um, awesome. And then the second, the second thing is not a deal. It was actually a, a management initiative because I, mm-hmm. I, I love coaching teams. I, I, I really, I like enjoy being part of large organizations. And one of the things that we launched um, there at the housing authority was helping to change the service delivery model and not to be like too wonky, but basically like it operated like a bank, like people came to work at eight and they left at four. Right. And like, (laughs) that that is not how like property management works. It hadn't, you know, and it just didn't work. And so, you know, we launched something called flex ops and the the unions hated it and they sued me and they ultimately probably were responsible for chasing me out, but whatever, it was the right fight (laughs) to pick. Those residents deserve clean hallways and safe, safe places to live and like it just needed to be done and i'm really happy to now say that they now have i think an 18 18 hour shifts there and people work shifts and wow you know, buildings buildings are clean seven days a week so. that's awesome congrats yeah. 
Thank you. What do you look for in hiring folks? Two things. One, I completely steal this from a former boss of mine who would say, I want you to have an unquenchable desire to know. Like you just want to know, right? And you are not going to stop when someone gives you a bullshit answer. Like you are going to like dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. Mm. So just like a really intense level of curiosity. I want people, I look for, and and that can be, you know, demonstrated in how people, you know, the paths that people have taken. Um, I look for a high degree of like personal integrity and that can look different for different people, right? Mm. Like, can you, do you have a narrative to talk about the work and why you've done and selected the things that you've done? And, you know, am I, is that, is that, maybe it seems a little, little uh, subjective, but I just, I find that really compelling when people have a, a good story. Now you got to check it out, right? Yeah, Make sure they're yeah. not bullshitting you. But like, you know, is there, is there a good narrative to how and why you've made the decisions you've made to date? People have maybe overcome some challenges in their lives. Exactly. And, and how you talk about it, right? Yeah. Like how you talk about like getting fired or, you know, or deciding like, you know what, that just wasn't the right place for me. Like, do you just gloss over that or do you say like, yeah, it probably wasn't, you know, and here, let me tell you why. This is why I, I, I know that in the next place I need, you know, the following. Love it. All right. I know you've been talking about this the whole episode, but you want to summarize how your job and slash real estate has uh, creates an impact on the world. That's a great question, Chris. Big question. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think I would actually just say very simply, you know, home is the most fundamental concept that we all share. And, you know, whether you call a, you know, small, you know, sort of hut to a huge, you know, apartment building, I mean, that concept of having a safe place to go every night, you know, with the people who care and love, care for you, I think is such a sort of human desire and it should be a fundamental right and it is it and it has it has been the scourge of this country for decades like let's not front that that just happened in the last two years like it has been a scourge for years that so many people have been homeless in this country and so i think the ability to you know build and preserve and create that for people is it's really for me just it's very meaningful you're definitely passionate about it. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast and thank you for all you do and sharing your experience. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you.